0: Good morning, Orangewood. That's strange. Good morning, peace. Good to be with you this morning. I believe God's given me a message for me and for us this morning. I always have that fear in my heart that I will in no way be able to deliver it in and of myself, and that's true. Um, but I'm excited about what I'm sharing with you This morning, I want you to use your imagination quite a bit this morning. We're going to start out with um, kind of a vision. I I want you to picture this with me. As a boy, Samuel, coming from a large family, he never heard his father tell him, I love you. Some of us have shared that experience, coming from homes with dads who just didn't have the emotional capacity to communicate love very well. Yet Sam would find his place, his place to prove his worth. Since his childhood paper route at age 14, working with his brother, Ben, they started a business and they had a vision that one day they would perhaps be in business together and Samuel through these early childhood experiences with his uh, um, entrepreneurial savvy he decided that he was going to one day he was going to own a business maybe a store maybe a restaurant as they grew the dream came to fruition And he and Benjamin partnered together, and they started their first business, a little restaurant, ten stools, four tables, small little place. But it made a profit. With things looking good into year two, the brothers purchased another location. Things were looking good. Then, the unexpected tragedy struck. Benjamin, Sam's brother and lifelong business companion died in a horrific plane crash shortly thereafter the next shoe drops and the second location that they had purchased for their business burned to the ground and the loss was not insured what would Sam do? What would you do in the face of such circumstances? And I want to ask you, what life experiences do you bring into this room this morning? Real ones. Not imaginary, not part of some imaginary picture, but real ones. Life is hard. And it's awfully fast these days. What would you do in the face of such circumstances as Sam's, what are you doing in the face of your own circumstances? How are you really doing? How is Chuck Berry really doing? And does this activity that we do this morning, singing songs and reciting words and listening to some guy teach from an age-old book, does it really... Speak purposefully into the realities of what we face. Do you really believe it? Can it? Do I? Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, I want to thank you and just praise you that I do believe that what we're doing here today as family has everything to do with the hardest of life circumstances. It has everything to do with the most intimate details of of our lives, from the very mundane to the life-shattering. I believe it. And I pray this morning that you would use this clay vessel to bring your message by your spirit to every heart here, including mine probably at the top of the list of need. <laughs> Father, speak to us. Pour out your spirit afresh. Revive us, encourage us, bless us. We need you to come. And we commit this time to you and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, I want to look at four snapshots, four more snapshots along the timeline of history. Two from our past, one very present, and then one future. I believe that God has given me a message and wants to use this panorama to touch your soul, to quicken your spirit, to deepen your heart and your relationship with him and each other. Snapshot one. You ready? Here we go. Going to have to move kind of fast. Snapshot one. Imagine it. God's people on the edge of the Red Sea. You know the story, the slaves of Egypt, they were enslaved for 430 years. Imagine, everything you've ever known is slavery. Everything your daddy and your granddaddy has ever known is slavery. To generations back, 10, 20 generations back, it's all slavery. And something incredible has happened. This shepherd who was once an Egyptian prince has come. And he's taken on Pharaoh. And you've witnessed plagues. Amazing plagues. Bizarre things you've seen. And you've actually been ushered out of Egypt. One million strong. All of these descendants of Jacob and his sons leaving Egypt. And you're being led by this unusual man named Moses, and you're just amazed at what's happening to you. The Egyptians are even handing over their wealth to you as you leave town. What a bizarre experience. What an amazing thing. And then you're brought to the edge of something, brought to the edge of the Red Sea. But not even that. What are you led by? You're led by like a cloud, a pillar of fire and smoke. There's an angel that's actually involved leading the procession. These are unbelievable experiences, unbelievable things going on. And you're led to the edge of the Red Sea, and there you are, and you're told to stop, and you stop. And then there's this murmur in the camp, and suddenly you hear, you see the dust on the horizon, and the Egyptian army's coming. And what do you do in light of all that you've experienced, in light of all that you've seen? What do you do? You're on the edge of the Red Sea. What do you do? You panic. Big time. Nowhere to run. A leader who says stay put. A God who says be still. And what's your conclusion? Big expletive. We're toast. We're toast. Exodus 14, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt I told you so, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What emotions are God's people experiencing and expressing? Fear, anger, self-pity, judgmental attitude and spirit, self-righteous sarcasm, can you hear it in those questions? a sense of impending doom, hopelessness? What if they could have seen the unseen? What if they could have hit pause in their circumstances and t it and moved forward and hit play? What would they have seen? This throng of million slaves... On the other side of the Red Sea, rejoicing, celebrating, worshiping God. And where is the enemy? Gone. Utterly destroyed. What could be gained by this group of people seeing their near future? What if they could have seen today through tomorrow's eye? What did they seemingly miss back on the other shoreline? Think about it with me. Hindsight's twenty-twenty. Easy for me to say. What did they miss, though? God's presence in the midst of their circumstances? Accomplishing his promised will? Duh! A pillar of cloud and fire that's leading you? And when the army of Egypt comes barreling down. What did this pillar do? It moved in between the people and the army itself to guard them and protect them. What did they miss? Why did they panic? Hindsight is twenty-twenty. In a word, they panicked because of unbelief. imagine the generational inertia of slavish thinking. They weren't used to having hope for the future, were they? They weren't used to being able to look out and have a vision for their life. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called The Meaning of Man. He was a Holocaust survivor. And in this book, golly, it's amazing, he writes about his experience with Um, Jews in captivity, and he's talking about... There were those in the camp that had this uncanny ability... To withstand whatever the Germans threw at them. And he discovered that there was this common factor... In those who had this ability to withstand it all. And the common factor was this. Those who were able to withstand... Somehow, had the ability to see today through tomorrow's eyes and they they could envision themselves having prosperous lives out in the future beyond the prison camp experiences. And because of that perspective, they were able to withstand what happened to them in the immediate with grace and power. Unlike the people of God at the edge of the Red Sea. Snapshot number two. Where are we now? God's people at the edge again of what? The Promised Land. Man, they've been through a lot now. They've been through more. They crossed the Red Sea, they've been down to Mount Sinai, God has visited them. God spoke to them on the mountain, and they couldn't, they didn't want to hear that. Said, Moses, you do the talking. This is too much for us. Moses leaves. He's gone for quite a while. You know, they kind of lose it there for a while and worship a golden calf. Moses comes back. Some more miraculous things happen. God takes care of them, leads them through the wilderness, leads them right up to the edge, right up to the edge. God's people on the edge of the promised land. Numbers 13. Moses gave this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, they said. He sent in 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, just like God said it did. Here's the fruit. Guess what? They brought back one cluster of grapes. It took two guys to carry this one cluster of grapes on a pole. That's the kind of fruit we're talking about. That's how fertile this land that God is enjoying to give to his people. He's promised that it would be so. He's calling them to go into the land. He tells them that he will give them the land. So the spies go in, they come back, and what do they say? The land is what you said it would be. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then one of the spies, Caleb, silenced the people before Moses and said this. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed, listen, we seemed like grasshoppers to them. We seemed like grasshoppers, nope, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Okay, what's the immediate response? What's the immediate reaction of the people of Israel on the edge of the promised land? Big expletive no way we can take this land. We're like grasshoppers, big giants big walls. No way. What did they express? Fear. Panic. Anger. Pity. Judgmental attitudes. Self-righteous tone. Despair and a sense of hopelessness in one word. What did they display, God's people on the edge? Unbelief. Again, their slavish perspective holding fast. It's all up to us. See, a slave, it's all up to him to survive. He doesn't have anyone watching his back. An orphan doesn't know where his next meal's coming from. If only they could have imagined. What could hindsight have taught them? Hit pause, fast forward, hit play. We see the nation of Israel united. We see the temple of God on the mount in Jerusalem. We see rulers of the world coming to pay homage to Solomon. Bringing the goods of their nations into the city of Jerusalem. Wow. We see the glory of Israel. What did they miss back there on the edge of the promised land? God's presence in their midst, in the middle of their circumstances, right smack in the middle of it, accomplishing his will and fulfilling his purposes. Why was fear the predominant emotion of God's people on the edge of what God had promised? In a word. Unbelief. If only they could have imagined. Then they could have had a different perspective. If they could have seen today through tomorrow's eyes. And some did. Caleb and Joshua. They came back with a completely different report, didn't they? We can surely do it. Let's go. Let's take it. God's promised it. God's going to use us. Let's go. There's this anticipation. This holy excitement about the plan and the vision and the purpose of their lives, we can certainly do it, says Caleb. Wow. Instead of pessimism, if the people could have imagined, there would have been praise, anticipation, excitement, and they would have moved into the promised land they would have rolled, man. Snapshot 3. God's people on the edge of what? Of the final promised land. Chuck, what's that picture? Tell us that Bible story. What does that picture look like? You know what the picture is? Click. 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 It's you. It's me. God's people Standing on the edge of the ultimate, final, promised land. Is there something in your heart this morning that's just going, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of a letdown, Chuck. You were kind of building there with these pictures. This third one, it's kind of a letdown. There's the problem. And it's in me and it's in you. There's the problem. What do you mean? We so easily forget who we truly are and what epic story that our lives in this immediate moment are caught up in. That we actually do live on the edge of something so fantastic, so spectacular, so engaging, so enthralling, that if we really got it this morning, we would be tearfully rejoicing, weeping as we worship, simply because we know and are known by our Creator Father, and we have the opportunity and capacity to worship Him this morning. But is that the normal condition of Chuck Berry's heart? I have such a dim view. I don't see myself as part of God's people on the edge of anything as awesome as what I just described. And here's the amazing things, you know what, we're so close to the edge, like the edge of the Red Sea and the edge of the Jordan River, that we unknowingly are seeing real glimpses and tasting real hors d'oeuvres of the coming kingdom. We taste and see them every day, but we're so dull to it that we don't even recognize it, and they don't feed us like they could. Do you understand? This is an hors d'oeuvre. This is an hors d'oeuvre of the coming kingdom. The relationships you share with people in this room. The opportunity to focus all together corporately on our God and our Father. And to sing praises and to be lifted up and get caught up in that moment. Is an hors d'oeuvre of the kingdom to come. It will come so easily then. But what comes now is just arduous. Why is it so arduous. It's hard. Our our propensity to run from the true God and the reality of his work and his promises. The steady impact of a curse-ridden world that's broken. A system, a world system that denies God his due. The influence of an enemy, Satan, who actively listen, actively seeks to vex, confuse, and blind us to the reality of this coming kingdom. Each factor serving to keep us enslaved to the short view of our existence. I live my life so often with the short view. I look at my immediate circumstances with the short view rather than the long Okay, let's stop. Let's look at this snapshot. What are your immediate circumstances this morning? Honestly. The recent loss of a loved one. Your business burning to the ground and no insurance. Memories of an earthly father that never communicated love to you. The mind-blowing reality that your marriage is failing A doctor that's just given you or a family memory the bad news, the company just downsized and your job is done, the creditor's voice on your voicemail week after week, the subtle depression of feeling that you just can't do this life. What's your immediate response, people? What's your daily response? What's Chuck Berry's response to the curveballs that life throws at me? Do any of these sound familiar? Fear? Anger? Judgmental spirit? Tendency to self-pity? Dull depression? Even hopelessness? In a word unbelief it's in my heart it's there, it's in my heart I'm a pastor and I got unbelief in my heart yes I'm God's son, adopted, bought redeemed, seated with Christ in the heavenlies there's unbelief in my heart you know what I need I need to see today through tomorrow's eyes can we pause and hit fast forward and get some hindsight perspective here Yes. Revelations 21. Listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the Apostle John. He's not just asking you to paint a picture. He was taken there. He saw it in advance. He was given tomorrow's vision today. And he writes it in the book. God's given it to us in his word. Why do you think God's given us tomorrow's picture today, people? Why? Because he wants us to have the long view. He wants us to see today through tomorrow's eyes. Listen. Listen. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. Listen, who? The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations Will be brought into it. What, Chuck? The glory and honor of the nations. Will there be nations in heaven? Yes. Will there be cities in heaven? Yes. Will there be people in heaven? Yes. Who will they be? They will be us. There is a full kingdom coming. It's coming, it's already on its way. The long view. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. No long, Listen, Revelation 22, 3. No longer will there be any curse. Oh. Thank you. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. If we could only imagine, then we would see today from a different perspective. We would, by faith, we can by faith, by God's grace, we will, more and more, family, by faith, take the long view of our immediate situation and give God the glory in the midst of it. Listen, the fullness of God's eternal kingdom is presently on approach. I love living here because I love airplanes, and there's always one flying over my house. Anybody else have that experience? These big, huge jets, they're always flying over my house. And I love it when the flaps come up, right when they're coming over my house. You hear that? It's like like the planes shifting gears. You know, and maybe they are. Maybe they're powering down a little bit. But the flaps come up. And you can hear it inside my house. I hear this plane. It's on approach. And I can hear the resistance of the air hitting the flaps of those wings. Can you hear the resistance of this world as God raises the flaps on his coming kingdom? He's bringing it in. The kingdom's coming through God's chosen vehicle. Guess who that is? It's us. Do you realize that we are the edge? We are the edge. Wherever you go, there the kingdom is. It's awesome. We're not just on the edge, about to step over. We are the edge. And as you advance, the kingdom advances. Yesterday I was on the roof of a house on Virginia Avenue. The kingdom of God was there. I loved it. Did it feel like it was there? No, it was hot. I was sweating like a pig. You know, I was covered in black roof tar. Why? Because I didn't know what I was doing, but Robert trusts me. So he puts me up there, and I get the tar job. You know, I thought it was because I was good, but really, who are we going to give this tar job to that will take it? There he is. There's the sucker. The kingdom of God was there at Virginia Avenue. Why? Because of the long view. Because one day, a young 14-year-old girl is going to get off the bus on her way to the abortion clinic and something's going to grab her attention. She's going to go into that clinic, change her mind about the abortion, a child is going to be born that's going to be a god worshiper that's going to worship next to me in the kingdom. The long view. It's awesome. God seeks to use you and me to make his kingdom visible. As Christ is manifest in our hearts, God's kingdom is manifest in this world. Do you realize your significance? Don't despair. Don't lose hope. God's using you. He has plans. Plans that he's had before the foundations of the world, and nothing can thwart them. Nothing. God uses, listen, God uses trials and sufferings and the fact of our impending physical death to unhinge us, to cut the chains, if you will, to set us free from this immediate temporal perspective of the short view. That's why James says, consider your trials pure joy. They're actually being used to set you free. Listen, What killed the Egyptian army? What killed the Egyptian army? The obstacle. That hit me last week. I was like, wait a minute. The very thing that they saw as a boundary, an obstacle, it's keeping me. It's a hurdle. I can't get over it. God uses the obstacle to destroy the enemy. Cool. God's people on the edge of the promised land. What's the obstacle? Big people and big walls. Well, let me refresh your memory. I remember some big walls coming down. And when they came down, what did the people inside the city do because the walls came down? They fled. I remember a giant. He was a descendant of Anak. His name was Goliath, nine foot three. I'd love to be that big. A giant, he's the obstacle. A shepherd who would one day be king nails him with a rock. He falls. Philistines fled. God is in the habit of using the very obstacle that you are prone to despair about to destroy your ultimate enemy to set you free. Now listen. Doesn't mean he's going to set you free today. You might have to wait. You might have to be still and know that I'm God for a while, he says. He doesn't always do it the way we want, in the timing that we want. But his plan is sure. Your future is secure. And whatever he is withholding from you now, you will be grateful in the end. One thing Curly said from City Slickers, remember that? What's the secret to life, happiness? One thing. David says, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek. What does he ask? David, one thing. What does he ask? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. God, I just want to be with you. I want to behold your beauty, and I want to meditate in your house. Paul, Philippians 3. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider him rubbish that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Why? Because Paul got it. Sufferings unhinged him from the shackles of this world system. And opened up his eyes and his mind to the reality of a coming kingdom that he was given his life for in the first place. Wow. Wow. I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Does that sound like the long view to you? Okay, we got to wrap. What happened to Sam? Well, he's alive and well today. Think. And he presses on as he pressed on through those early life challenges by taking the long view. He's become quite a success story, but not because of his human savvy. He would tell you it has to do with where he is this morning in church with his family and his grandkids. He's not in his boardroom, and he's not making some business deal. In fact, today, every one of his 1,300 restaurant locations are closed because of his long view. Samuel Truitt Cathy. We're blessed in this community by Chick-fil-A's. They serve our kids lunch. It's cool. There's a man with a long view because God has a hold of him and he knows it and he sees it and he's just committed everything that he does to the long view and now he's using his wealth to start foster homes and all kinds of amazing things you with me I haven't talked a whole lot about heaven have I other than the fact that it's a sure reality and it's not some pie in the sky thing where you're going to float around in disembodied spirits and play the harp and sing hymns all the time. It's nothing like that. You know where that idea came from? Satan. And Satan would love to keep you out of Revelations 21 and 22. Why? Because if you can't imagine it, you can't look forward to it. I know where I'm going on vacation in three weeks, and I'm thrilled because I can just see myself on the beach. Hatteras, Outer Banks, North Carolina, sun, fun, family. It's going to be awesome. I can imagine it. That propels me through days like today. Not that this is suffering or anything, but I'm looking forward to vacation. I can imagine it. Guess what? Satan would love for you not to be able to imagine what heaven is like. It's too big for you to imagine. You can't even get your arms around it, he says. "Bull hockey." God gives us all kinds of information in his word. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be on a new earth. It's going to be a restored creation. Anything out there that you think is beautiful, magnify it by a hundred. And that's what it's going to be like. Do you think relationships are good now? Wait till you get there. you think work is good now? Do you enjoy your job? Maybe you hate your job. Guess what? When you get to heaven, you're going to have a job that's uniquely designed for you. You're going to love it. You're going to love to go to work. And guess what? You're not going to want to go to work to get away from anything because everything else is going to be just as awesome. It's going to be incredible. And we're going to worship the creator. He's going to keep creating, most likely. That's what he does. We get to explore it. We get to learn. We get to continue to grow. It's going to be awesome. So what in the world are we so bummed out about? I get bummed out because of unbelief. I get bummed out because I forget the gospel. I get bummed out because I have a hard time believing that the shepherd that the Bible talks about is really a prince. And he's the second person of the trinity. What do we got to do? We got to tell ourselves the gospel. What do we got to do? We got to remind each other of the gospel because you won't be able to tell yourself enough times. We need each other. We got to hang together here. And we got to be the edge. We got to be the edge that's moving out into this world out here because they need the gospel. What an adventure. There's nothing more exciting to live your life for. That's what we're about. Let's pray. Father, Father, we have more to do this morning. Reggie, don't cut any songs. We'll go late. Blame it on me. Tell Jeff it's my fault. Father, Father, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are in the midst of our circumstances. Whatever they are, you're all over it. It may not feel like it. I'm prone to fear and pity and self-righteousness and judgmentalism, but God, you're all over it. You know our names and you know what you're doing. And you're calling others to come and and join this family. Maybe there's somebody here today that's just bummed out. They're hopeless and they're despairing. Father, there's no reason for that. They can come into the family. All they got to do is believe. Believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins. That he came to rescue them. Cry out to Jesus this morning. And if you've known him a long time and you see that unbelief there, cry out afresh. Tell yourself the gospel and rejoice. Father, thank you for what you're going to do. Give us the long view and help us live in light of it every day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.